Good day, Kings Point residents. Raul Vargas here behind the controls at your Kings Point podcast production studio. And this morning I have the pleasure of joining us, Senator Perry Thurston, who is now running and is a candidate for Congress for the empty congressional seat vacated by the late Alcee Hastings, who sadly passed away in April of this past year. Good morning, sir. How are you this morning? And thank you for joining us. Uh, good morning, Mr. Vargas, and it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, good morning to the King Point residents. So um, we're going to enlighten the residents of Kings Point today with a, a little bit of knowledge from yourself and uh, your plans if, uh, as, as a candidate for Congress. So I want to start by asking you uh, to tell the residents here at Kings Point a little something about yourself. Well, good morning again, Mr. Vargas, and you're right. I am uh, running uh, for Congressional District 20 to replace uh, a legend in our community, uh, Congressman Alcee Hastings. I am not unfamiliar with the residents of King Point because I've served as the senator here for the uh, last five years. So I'm very familiar with the the residents, uh, but I am seeking a different position now as your congressman, I will be in charge of a lot more territory, and I look forward to doing that. I'm a, a, resi- a lifelong resident of Broward County. In fact, I'm a third generation Broward County, and I attended the public schools here in Broward County. I uh, went on to earn a scholarship to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. I uh, returned and worked in banking for a few years, and then I attended the University of Miami's Law School. I'm married. I have uh, two children who are adult children who are uh, out trying to change the world in their own life, and I uh, practiced law here in Broward County for the past 30 years. I was elected to the Florida House in 2006, and I rose to become the Democratic leader in the Florida House before running for the Senate, where I was elected in 2016, and I've uh, been unanimously selected to be the Democratic leader in the Florida Senate. Uh, Unfortunately, with the demise of Congressman Hastings, I'll forego that leadership opportunity, and I will be, with your help, of course, Kings Point, I'll be the next congressman for District 20. That's awesome. That's excellent. Now, knowing that Kings Point is a 55 and over community with close to 9,000 residents and our seniors are very important to us, how will you help the senior community in Broward County? Well, you know, the senior community in Broward County, and I know you gave the statistics for Tamarack, but your question was about Broward County. Broward County currently has 451,000 year-round seniors. Here in Tamarack, there are 23,612 year-round seniors in Tamarack. And uh, sadly, 13.9% of those seniors are below the poverty level. So there is a lot that needs to be done in the way of food security, uh, utilities, and affordable housing. But what I would uh, do is to continue to work with agencies uh, that we've been working with all along the area of aging. You know, under Edith Leatherberg, we had an excellent relationship and making sure that our seniors 
across the county, and especially at Keynes Point and the Tamarack, were able to get the services they need. Uh, the new uh, director, uh, uh, Charlotte Mather, is also a great friend of mine. So we'll make sure that those things are provided. But more importantly, uh, Mr. Vargas, we have an opportunity with some of the funds that are coming in from the Federal Recovery Act that are there to uh, assist with uh, not only mortgage assistance, but rental assistance and energy bills uh, to address some of the needs that the seniors have. We, uh, we love our seniors and we've got to protect them uh, from the, from the insecurities that exist. And I can tell you this, this pandemic has certainly pointed out many, many of those uh, uh, problems that we have. Yes, and it's also, you know, it's funny you say that because you did mention housing, and that's one of my questions, but it also has worked out in some way for some seniors, because not all, as an advantage, because uh, I myself, um, we were teaching seniors in Kings Point how to access Zoom. You know, a lot of them were locked down in their homes during quarantine, and the only way they could reach their loved ones it was either through Skype or through Zoom. And, you know, we made that accessible to them and tried to help them in many ways possible so they wouldn't feel as lonely and can reach and commute you know, communicate with their loved ones. So, yes. Mr. Vargas, you're absolutely correct. There were certainly those type of benefits that came from the pandemic. You know, a lot of the loss of lives that we experienced is something we'll never, ever overcome. But the fact that uh, communications by way of Zoom and Skype and the other sources, uh, that that is a godsend. I think that many people who had no idea of the technology that was available have certainly taken advantage of it and hopefully will continue to to take advantage of those opportunities. I can tell you this, even the business community learned from the uh, that experience that there are things that they can do to enhance their businesses as well. Exactly, and we were doing so also. We were helping the small businesses in Tamarack just to help them maintain and try to stay afloat with their struggles and just to try to keep the business within the city to help the city. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, I've represented Tamarack for a while and have an excellent relationship with the uh, mayor and the uh, council people here in Tamarack. And certainly uh, they've been doing all they can do to help the business community during the pandemic, including some uh, takeout service and curbside service. And I'm hoping that the people of King Point uh, certainly benefited from that as well. Oh, they have. Michelle Gomez was just over at King's Point the other day. She's been doing breakfast with the mayor, and I was there. And she's a big asset to the community and has always helped out any way possible. Michelle is a lovely person, and I've had a constant relationship with her and the prior mayor is that for that point uh tamarack officials are great and as uh, as most of my questions today are geared to our senior community um how do you feel and what's your input on affordable housing well well there are a couple of things you know quite frankly affordable housing is a uh issue that the entire community need to deal with. We have uh, 
issues regarding affordable housing. And one of the things that the legislature that I'm a member of, but certainly I've taken no part in because I'm totally against the sweeping of the Sadowski Trust Fund. You know, that is a wealth of opportunity to help to provide affordable housing to our senior constituents. Now, one of the things that you see happening right now, Mr. Barton, there's a lawsuit by the realtors to address affordable housing, to stop the legislature from annually sweeping those trust funds so that the money can be used for, for the purpose for which it was intended. And that is to provide affordable housing. Now, even in the, and, and it's really not a lawsuit, it's a petition drive to change the constitution to prohibit them from doing that. Now, one of the problems that, uh, well, and I don't even know if it's a problem, one of the things that that's being negotiated right now is what percentage are we talking about single family home, multi-purpose duplexes, as well as rental? Because, you know, here in South Florida and in most major metropolitan areas, it's not just single family homes that we're talking about. And a lot of the seniors in don't simply don't live in single family homes. So we want to make sure that the benefits of those Sadowski funds will benefit these seniors. So those are the types of things that we're looking at trying to address. Uh, and, and, and I think that, again, with some of the assistance that's coming down from the federal recovery dollars, as well as the CARES Act, I think that's going to allow us to uh, help those seniors for, with the affordable housing issues. That's awesome. Now, um, my next, I'm going to intertwine two questions that I have together because it's about health care. Yes, sir. Um, what is your take and your stance on affordable health care for the senior community? And how do you feel about Medicare for all? Well, and, and those are good questions. Those are very good questions. I think that, you know, the Affordable Care Act that was passed uh, a while back in 2010 was certainly something that we should be adopting here in the state of Florida. You know, uh, Mr. Vargas, I was the uh, leader of the House Democrats when an opportunity came to really take advantage of that $50 billion that was coming down from the federal government. And uh, our leadership in Tallahassee refused to do so, simply because it was coming from a Democratic administration at the time. So I took uh, issue with that and we protested that like you wouldn't believe. But I think that one of the best things that we can do is to join the other uh, states uh, and, and help provide affordable that Affordable Care Act benefits to the millions and millions of Americans who could use that help right now, many of whom are in our uh, senior com community. You know, uh, Medicare for all should be open and available. But I do think that Americans deserve a healthcare system where everyone has access to quality care. So a combination of uh, universal healthcare where people have that public option, but also have private insurance markets that they can take advantage of. One of the things that you find in this debate 
which is a really great debate. And I, I think we should be having it. You know, when you come from a country as rich as ours and uh, a nation as, with as many resources as we have, we should debate this issue and do what's best for all of the citizens, especially our senior community citizens. You know, there are a lot of individuals in the community who agree with uh, making sure that there's universal health care, but they want to have a combination where they can keep some of their private markets available. And, and I think there's a combination and, and, and there's a, a meeting of the minds that we can be that can be had that can assure both things. So I, I, I do agree that Medicare should be open to all who want it. But I do think that some of the private markets, insurance markets, should be allowed to compete as well. And that's funny. While you was answering my question, it was running through my head that we lived in the world's richest nation. So why can't we have programs with affordable quality health care for all? Wouldn't you think, you, you know, there are nations uh, 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 who we consider ourselves more advanced than who provide health care for their citizens. I remember, Mr. Vargas, I was listening to one of the stories on NPR when we were having this ex uh, discussion in the legislature about expansion of our Medicaid and, and how do we get all of these individuals in our community insured. And some of the other uh, uh, our citizens from different countries, they couldn't believe that we did not have access to health care. And they talked about how they would be up in arms if their country, their governments uh, tried to take away that benefit from them. So, yes, we, we are way behind and we are one of the richest, the richest nation in the world. And that's the least that we should be doing for our citizens. Yeah, that's a heavy topic for discussion there. I agree. And, and if you think about it, the, the other problem with it, uh, Mr. Vargas, is this. The way that we're providing health care for our citizens right now is the most expensive way. If we don't have some type of universal coverage, we're still allowing people to have to uh, have crisis situations where they are forced to go to uh, emergency rooms for their health care. And we still pay for that but we just pay for it at an alarming rate, more than we would certainly be, uh, we would be expending if we had affordable health care, if we adopted the uh, actual health care that's available for all. Correct, correct, I agree. Now, as congressman, what actions will you take to try to make our neighborhoods better and safer? Well, well, there are a lot of things that we can do to make our, our neighborhoods better, uh, starting out with sensible gun reform. You know, we had a situation with the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, situation several years ago. And again, I was in the legislature at the time and we had an opportunity to make some uh, just uh, tremendous changes in access to firearms and assault weapons and and, and we didn't we we I, I know that we did pass some legislation but it never it, it didn't go far enough and we have to get down to the root of what is going on with this violent crimes and we've got to get some of these guns off the street i think that there's a uh, legislation that's being uh, considered in washington dc right now 
that would help us in that regard. Uh, I think we make our communities better by actually investing in the community, having a, a police force that will go on the street and doing community policing. So I, I think that the, the common sense gun res, uh, uh, legislation would certainly be a good start to uh, getting us in the right direction and getting rid of some of the deaths. I mean, I know that you watch the news and you've seen some of these uh, horrific shootings that's occurred uh, uh, in not in Broward, but in Dade County, quite frankly, that uh, certainly uh, right in our neighborhood, right in our back door. And we've got to put an end to this. And uh, common sense gun res uh, uh, legislation would be a good start. And sadly, it's not only in the state of Florida. It's, you know, it's an upscale hill now going all over the country, the gun violence. And it's funny because this goes right into my next question. How do you feel and what's your input on police reform? How do we get our communities and police to interact better with each other? Well, well I think that that community policing is, is a, is a thing that we have to consider. And then training, uh, you know, sensitivity training for law enforcement where we can actually uh, address uh, biases that, that we all may have. And we can address uh, some of the uh, biases that we may have known and unknown. You know, sometimes people don't realize that they're they are biased towards the community or towards the situation. And there's a way that we can uh, address those things in, in a fashion that everybody will benefit. And, and, and Mr. Vargas, right now, as we speak, there's legislation pending. You have the George Floyd bill in um, DC. And, and that bill has been pending for a while. There are a lot of aspects to the bill that uh, I think are good. There are some concerns about uh, qualified immunity and the chokehold and these knock and announce rules. There are all those types of things that uh, we um, need to address. Yes, I agree. And, um, you know, being, I myself, I interact a lot with Kings Point. Um, I, I don't, I'm not a resident of Kings Point, but I literally live right around the corner for Kings Point. And it feels like I leave, live there because I'm constantly in there. But um, I, I stay in, informed with uh, the Tamarack um, City Hall on programs and all kinds of stuff available to the senior community. And um, my question is, in some of our cities, seniors sometimes don't even have an idea of what programs are available to them. How can we get our representatives to visit these senior centers, these senior communities, and try to keep them informed? Well, Mr. Vargas, I've represented Kings Point, and I know that you have a lot of uh, uh, events there to inform the seniors and, and and all the community. I think that one of the things is this: when one is elected to serve the community, it's up to the representatives to make their selves available. Yes, sir. We all have uh, 
staff that can be available a lot of times when you're locally uh like you you mentioned going over to city hall well our city hall from the legislative standpoint will be in dc or from a state uh, legislative perspective we're in tallahassee a lot but when we're in the community it should not be a problem and every elected representative should come to the seniors and come and make themselves available to the seniors and also have their staff available to communicate with the seniors. You know, we have a uh, relationship with the leadership in Tamarack and we uh, routinely get calls from them saying, well, this was an issue that was brought up but it's really a state issue. Likewise, we routinely will call our congressmen and say to them, this is an issue that residents of Tamarack and Kings Point have brought to our attention, but these are federal issues. So we're communicating it to you so that you can address those issues as well. So I think that the staff and the elected officials should always make themselves available to the residents. I want to tell you this too. I started out by talking about the area of aging and, and, and Charlotte Mather and Edith Lee, uh, well, the, uh, where Edith used to be, that agency has a hotline and we work hand in hand with them in terms of making sure that the seniors receive whatever information they need, whether it be, you know, you said uh, Kings Point is a 55 and over. Well, you know, with the Medicare benefits, you're it's 65 and over. So most of the residents or a lot of the residents of King Point are already situated with their Medicare situation. But, you know, we have uh, access to the helpline. We also have access to shine counselors who would help them uh, to navigate some of the uh, obstacles with the Medicare and the Medicaid uh, opportunities that's there. They help them get the best health plan that they can have. That's a very good answer. And um, my next question is in regards to the LGBTQ community. Knowing that Kings Point has many elderly gay residents, what's your stance on LGBTQ rights? Well, I've always been supportive of equal rights for all Americans and treatment for uh, uh equal under the law in our society. I think that uh, my entire career I've fought to ensure the LBGTQ community is uh, treated fairly. But, you know, I think that all citizens should be treated fairly. I think that it goes without saying, you know, there were, uh, I was an early supporter of uh, uh, the uh, Marriage Act here in Broward County. I've always been, uh, you know, I think that if you look at my voting record in Tallahassee as it relates to uh, equality issues, I'll have a 100% voting record because I've always been supportive of the LGBTQ community, and I'll continue to be supportive uh, in, uh, in Congress. Excellent, excellent. And, you know, it's funny because growing up in New York, I come from an old-school family, that had taught me to respect everyone, no matter who they were. As long as they respected you and treated you correctly, you 
did the same. And, you know, equality, equality is important. And it's funny that you say that because, you know, uh, I come from that same type of family. But, uh, Mr. Vargas, I come from a big family, too. Uh, you know, my father has 13 brothers and sisters. So you can imagine I have lots and lots of cousins and relatives. And, you know, so, you know, just statistics alone would say that if you're from huge families like I'm from, you're going to have not only uh, – uh, uh, individuals in your community who are members of the LGBTQ community. You've got lots of relatives who are members of the LGBTQ community as well. So certainly that would uh, be a start for you to say you don't want anybody mistreating anybody, but you certainly don't want anybody mistreating your family members who are members of the community. So therefore, you will want that same protection for everybody. Exactly. You love them just the same. Just the same. And that's something that uh, my grandmother would always say, you know, I, you, everybody, you know, she has over a hundred grands and everybody want to be that special one. But she uh, always would make it known that uh, she loved them all the same. And uh, we're all God's children. And certainly we have to love everybody the same. That's for sure. Now, you know, this country was built on our ancestors and immigration coming in here, our immigrants coming in here from other parts of the world and building and working hard for what we have today. And um, there's so much back and forth with immigration reform. So my next question is, um, I would like your input on how you feel on immigration re reform. Well, I'm... I'm uh... I'm a firm believer that uh, immigrants are the bedrock of our society and the economy. I think that, you know, my grandfather came here in uh, early 1902, I believe it was, from the Bahamas. Met my grandmother, and they're the ones that had those 13 children that I, that I referenced early. But uh, I think that, you know, the way they put their resources together, it struggled hard, and we also see the Haitian community coming in doing the same thing. And we know that the Cuban community have come over and, and, and done and worked hard and made the uh, South Florida a much stronger community. I often hear stories about how the Bahamian, when they came in, they worked uh, to help make the railroads that we have now that we had for South Florida economy to make the economy boom with, without their knowledge of how to work in those swamplands and without the knowledge of some of the individuals who come over here and work hard to make our country better, we, we wouldn't be as strong of a country as we are. Uh, we've got our issues, but uh, and, and we're striving to be a better America. But I think that America is certainly better for the uh the input of the immigrants who've come to our shores. And uh, when it comes to the DREAM Act, when it comes to uh, comprehensive immigration reform, I think we have to do that and we have to address it uh, head on. And I, I think that being born here in South Florida and having the benefit of, of, of growing up actually in school with people from all over the world, I think it made me certainly a better person and certainly a much rounder person. And I think that, you know, Florida 
in places like Florida and New York where you see immigrants, communities working and living together. That's what uh, the future of America is. And we've got to strive to make sure that every one is protected in that regard. Indeed, because they just come here just to have a better life because where they come from, they have many struggles. And um, they come here just for, to seek better opportunities, better jobs. And it's funny because my next question is uh, about economic security and income equality. So uh, I would like your stance and your input on that. And what do you think is a fair minimum wage? Well, you know, I, I have uh, fought and worked for uh, a livable wage uh, all of my political career. I think that uh, this COVID pandemic has shown that, you know, there are no menial jobs or the people who we depend on on a daily basis uh, may not uh be receiving a fair wage, but yet during the pandemic, we asked them to continue to help us to sustain our lifestyles and our living. And I think certainly we should look at that. We should look at how we treat people who work 40 hours a day and can't afford housing or can't afford health care or have to work two jobs in, in order just to afford their, take care of their basic needs for their families. So I think that that's a problem. And what you really find is that uh, society is uh, supplementing those businesses who are not paying a living wage with the resources that we have to provide. You know, it, it's just uh, a person should not have to work that hard and not be able to provide for their basic needs or the basic needs of their family. I think that $15 is a good start for a uh, livable wage. And I, I, I think that that's not too much to ask. No, it isn't. And it helps them, you know, a lot of families now, even, you know, after the pandemic are living and struggling paycheck to paycheck and wondering how they're going to feed their families and, you know, have access and to, to, you know, just to pay the rent and, and stay in their homes. So, yes, I agree. And um, even though Kings Point is a 55 and over community, a lot of the residents or many of the residents, if not all, are parents and grandparents. Our children are our future. So what is your take on schooling and education programs for our youth uh, Mr. Vargas, my mother taught in the public school system for 30 years. Unfortunately, she also taught at my high school when I was just uh, getting to know a uh, little bit about uh, hanging out and having a good time in school. So uh, she curtailed a lot of that. But I'm a big proponent of public education. Now, I, I, I support all education. But, you know, our Constitution talks about a well-funded public education system. So I, I support public education. I think that uh, is the bedrock of what makes uh, our society better. And for those immigrants or even uh, uh, individuals coming from low-income area, it's like a stepping stone. A good quality education will help them become uh, more uh, beneficial in our society and, and it'll help them to uh, uh, certainly 
care for their families. Uh, a, a good education is uh, irreplaceable. So I believe in the uh, public education system. I believe in education as a priority, number one. It's a priority in my household. So certainly I think it should be a priority for our society. One of the reasons I ran for elected office was as a supporter of a strong education system. You know, that that and the criminal justice reform would be my background. And, you know, I, fuck, I, I, I would focus on a lot of other issues in Tallahassee, but the number one and the number two issue was education and criminal justice. Now, I think that we should always look at strengthening our schools. We should look at paying our teachers a uh, a, a salary commensurate with what they deserve. And when we look at having those students home with the parents, I think the parents are, are better educated on why those teachers should be paid now that they've had to spend some time with their own children. But certainly our teachers do an excellent job. We should compensate them as the professionals that they are. We should always uh, look to uh, increase our standards as we uh, go through the education process. Our kids these days have to compete with not just the classmates, they're competing with other countries. So we want to continue to be one of the top uh, school districts in the nation. And we are. So to that end, we have our teachers and our leaders to be thankful for that. So I'm all for uh, uh, increasing the standards in our schools, but it certainly lets uh, pay our teachers who are, have that responsibility what they deserve as the professionals that they are. Yes, I agree. Kudos to those educators because they did not have it easy during this pandemic. Many of them had to reinvent themselves with their curriculum and their way of teaching and all of them did a phenomenal job. All of them did a phenomenal and they, job. They, they did. And if you think about it, Mr. Vargas, there are some students who were just not familiar with the technology. Heck, there were some teachers not familiar with the technology. Yes, but everybody, everybody adjusted and they made the best of the situation. I, I want to tell you one of the bills that I sponsored uh, this year had to do with education accountability. And uh, we got a little flag in the first committee on the bill, but then the bill obviously was uh, amended to the uh, Secretary of Education's final order, where he agreed with uh, what we were asking. And, and basically all we said was that every year we have testing of the students at the end of the year. Well, what my bill said is that this pandemic and what you were just saying about the teachers having to adjust, this pandemic was different. It wasn't like school as school is normally taught. Everybody had to make adjustments. And what we asked the school system to do, and they have agreed to do, and this bill affects students all over the state of Florida, is that you, we are going to be testing but we're not going to use it punitively. So it's not going to hold those third graders back in that critical stage of their lives. It's not going to stop the uh, senior from graduating and going on with his life objective. 
It's not going to label the school a different school grade or the teachers getting labeled. We're just going to use it as a diagnostic for the year of the pandemic. And then what that would allow us to do is these monies that are coming in from the federal government, uh, whether it be from the uh, CARES Act or the affordable uh, for, uh, for other programs that we have funds coming in from the federal government, the recovery dollars, that money now can be used to direct what those test results show as the decline. The COVID slide is what we're calling it. Let's look at that COVID slide, use the monies to enhance and help those students, teachers, and schools, but not use it in a punitive fashion. And that was adopted. And so this year, you won't see people being irreparably harmed uh, based on what happened. No, it's just a stepping stone to make everything better. That's, you know, I, That's agree, correct. I agree with that. Now, um, you know, sadly, we have a lot of division and negativity going on in this country. And um, it's really sad just to see it, you know, every day going on. And my question to you is, what's your stance and how do you feel on social and racial justice? Well, you, you, you know, it is a sad situation that some of those things that we see going on that we have to deal with that in this day and age. But, you know, I was born here in South Florida and as an African-American here in the South, I've uh, seen a lot of uh, growth in the community, but I've also seen a lot of the uh, negativity, a lot of the racism and the problems that we as a society have. I think that we have to all continue to work together to improve our society. There are bills that are pending right now in D.C. that, uh, that gives one hope for our criminal justice system. You know, I, I said I'm a lawyer and I have been for 30 years. I started out with the public defender's office and I still uh, practice uh, criminal defense law as well as public finance. But when I'm in the court system, I can't help but see the disproportionate effect that some of our laws have on the black and brown community. And we have to look at studies that have shown that people evenly situated with the same offense may be punished differently. We have to address that issue and make sure that justice is colorblind. Make sure that, you know, uh, certainly we want to uh, not have crime in our community, but we want it to be fairly implemented. We want people to be treated similar situations, to be treated similar in terms of the sentencing and the punishment that we dole out. I think that we do have a opportunity to address uh, racial and social uh, barriers right now. Uh, there are pending legislation that's aimed at doing just that. I think I've been a voice for that over the uh, past 16 years in the Florida House and the Florida Senate. I look forward to working across the aisles with the leaders that are in uh, Washington, D.C. to continue that, to continue to add to uh, helping our country grow into uh, the words that helped form our nation. 
You know, I think it's a continual. I look at the Constitution as a breathing and living document. And every day that we have the benefit of being on this earth and especially as serving in leadership roles, it's us up to us to continue to help the, the growth of the nation and help us to be the great nation that we can be. Yeah, sadly, sometimes it feels like we take one step forward and three steps backwards. It's like we're going back into time sometimes. Some of the issues that we find ourselves dealing with, such as voter suppression and suppressing of our constitutional rights to free speech, which was two of the major issues that we had to deal with in this past legislative session. You're absolutely right. It does seem like we're going backwards and forward. And you, uh, I would like to say uh, one step forward and sometimes three steps backwards. But we've got to keep fighting the battle because if we're not on the front line fighting the battle, then we're losing. Indeed. Now, uh, I am so grateful that you have allowed us this interview today, Senator Thurston. So, um, I would like to ask you if you have any last words for the residents at Kings Point today. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure for me to serve the residents of King Point and the confidence that they've put in me as their leader, as their senator, as their representative. And I hope to continue to uh, have that confidence as their congressman. Now, um, do you have any info for them to share uh, as far as uh, contact information for your campaign, a website, anything that they can pull up and see for themselves? I, I absolutely do. They can follow me at perrythurston.vote, and that's on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Either of those social media sites, perrythurston.vote. And I ask that all the residents, please follow me. Well, there you have it, Kings Point residents. My one-on-one -on -one with Senator Perry Thurston today, candidate for District 20, the seat vacated by the passing of the late Alcee Hastings, who passed away sadly in April of this year. And once again, I'd like to thank Mr. Thurston for joining us today. Hope we enlightened all the residents at Kings Point and um, you enjoyed this interview. And... I'd like to thank you again, Senator Thurston. You're welcome to join us anytime you like. You have my number. Anytime you want to reach out to the residents at Kings Point, feel free to get a hold of me, and we'll make it happen. Thank you for this Thank you, and thank you for your hospitality, Mr. Vargas. Thank you for this interview today, and uh, good luck in your upcoming special election. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. My pleasure.